It's funny the things you remember when you were a kid. When I was around 10 years old, I came into the house from playing outside, and there's this man sitting at our dinner, dinner room, uh, <clears throat> dining room table, <clears throat> nicely dressed in a, in a black suit, a white shirt and tie. <clears throat> he was an older man, older than my parents, and my mom and dad are sitting there at the table with this guy, seeming, seemingly to have a nice chat, and my mom says to me, Donald, this is Mr. Jarvis. He's from the Internal Revenue Service. He's going to be spending some time talking with Dad and I. I shook his hand and said hello, and he was very polite. Then I went off to my room. I didn't know my parents were being audited by the IRS, and I think Mr. Jarvis was there at our table for, I mean, I know he was there more than one night, so this audit must have taken, you know, couple of days. And I've asked my parents about this, you know, re recently, and, and yes, they, they were audited at one time. Apparently something on their tax return triggered a red flag in the IRS computer, and so they sent an agent out do, to do that. But here's the thing. Even then, at such a young age, not knowing anything about the tax system or, you know, the IRS, and 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 as nice as Mr. Jarvis seemed to be, there was a, a negative vibe in the house with him just being there. I mean, maybe it was because I grew up hearing my parents complain about taxes or the IRS, or maybe there was some anxiety that they had vocalized on their part before the, the auditor showed up at our house. So maybe that put a negative ideas about it in my brain. I, I really can't pin it down. I just know the whole thing seemed off. <laughs> well, who would think an, an audit by the IRS would be a pleasant thing anyways, right? It's something all of us wish to avoid. It's not a surprise then that even today in modern society, we can understand the negative attitudes towards tax collectors in the Bible because it's still a thing. Nobody likes tax collectors. Even though it's meaningful work that God gives, that God provides people. And it's a good thing that the church today doesn't have a doctrine of hatred towards tax workers just because it's in the Bible, because it's a necessary vocation. In those days, however, in Judea, tax collectors would take money from the people. They'd skim a little bit off the top for themselves, secretly. They were corrupt, and everyone knew it. On top of that, Jewish tax collectors worked as agents for the Roman Empire, gathering revenue from the local population to finance Rome and everything the empire was doing. So the people despised tax collectors for that as well. Such is the first evangelist in the Christian church, Levi, later called Matthew, a tax collector. He's the author of one of the Gospels in the New Testament. A whole book about Jesus written by a despised Jew who once worked for the Romans in his tiny IRS office in Capernaum. He's not a fisherman. Jesus doesn't perform a miracle before his Levi's eyes as he did before Simon's eyes as we heard last Sunday. 
And there doesn't seem to be an important lesson or illustration Jesus teaches Levi. He just says to him, follow me. Shortly after that, however, something does happen where Jesus shows people then and people today what kind of God rules this world and what his attitude is toward us. After Jesus says, follow me, and they give up everything and follow him, Levi throws a big dinner party at his house for Jesus and the others, as well as some other tax collectors. You know, apparently if you were a tax man, other tax men were your only friends. Now, in Luke, we don't hear anything about the wedding at Cana and Jesus' first miracle of turning water into wine. Instead, the first meal we see with the disciples is this lavish dinner at Levi's house. Making, it's making me hungry already. Can you imagine what they ate, you know, all that food? Now, Simon depended on an, e- on an evening's catch of fish to put dinner on his table, which could happen or maybe not. Right? As we have already seen, Simon hadn't been catching anything lately. Levi, on the other hand, has money to burn on a fancy feast. Invited to share in this fellowship with Jesus at the table are the outcasts of society, tax collectors and sinners. Now we've already seen tax collectors are sinners too because they rip people off. But who are these other sinners at the dinner table? Well, according to the Pharisees, anyone who didn't conform to the laws of Moses, either by nature, you know, ethnically, or deliberately, didn't follow the Jewish ways of righteousness, was a sinner. Like today, people don't want to follow Jesus. They don't care. They're not interested. You've sat with people like that in your home and ate with them at the table, haven't you? The Pharisees would have considered all kinds of other trades besides tax collectors as sinners, such as street peddlers, door-to-door salesmen, herdsmen, tanners, prostitutes. Well, that one goes without saying. Along with that, you have Samaritans and mixed-race peoples people with physical deformities and diseases, the mass of the population, anyone who lacked observance of the ideal of the commandments of God and the laws of Moses are sinners. Wow. (laughs) It doesn't seem like there would be very many uh, righteous people in first century Judea, would there be? This is why the Pharisees were so pious. They believed they were the only ones worthy of of God's favor. Jesus, however, shows them and us who the poor captives are that that he came to proclaim the good news to. You got these tax collectors around the table along with other sinners like Mary from Magdala. Now, she could afford very expensive oil to pour on Jesus later on as well as these other tradespeople who earn a living. These outcasts aren't monetarily poor. Their personal bank of righteousness has emptied. They're, they're, They're spiritually and morally bankrupt. And they've recognized their poverty before God and that they have nothing good in 
in them to give God or show for it. Remember Simon at the shore on the lake last week where he says, he, says he, he, he witnesses this miracle of all the fish and he says to Jesus, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. We don't hear Levi saying the same thing, but that doesn't change what's, what's going on at this dinner. And all the other meals Jesus will have with his disciples leading up to his death. The sinners like Simon and Levi and Mary Magdala and Andrew and whoever else is there, they're receptive of the Messiah's offering of forgiveness of sin and acceptance into the kingdom of God because they know, they know their sin now because they're in the presence of the Lord. They're receptive because they thirst for righteousness now, a righteousness that only God can give, not any kind of righteousness that they can do or drum up within themselves. They're not smug, self-righteous people like the Pharisees are. You know, some Christian churches today want to emulate this kind of dinner ministry, right? So they'll have big, they'll have big banquets or big dinners to feed the poor, the hungry, the homeless, and the vulnerable. You know, let's be like Jesus. Let's prepare a banquet and invite the people on the street just like Jesus teaches. We'll hang out with sinners and, and eat with them around the table. Well, that's good work. People need to be fed and kept alive. And young Christians today are especially concerned about doing something for others rather than themselves. So, do that. Buy a bunch of food. Make a big dinner. Invite the outcasts. But remember this. Jesus didn't have dinner at Levi's house just to sit around and chat about who's winning the game at the Colosseum in Rome. Jesus isn't sitting there eating and drinking while affirming everyone's personal belief systems. He's interested in proclaiming liberty to those held captive to their sin and can't find a way out of it. He's interested in showing them the way to the kingdom of God, the way to righteous living, and the way to heaven in and through himself. He's interested in healing the brokenhearted and the oppressed. He's interested in calling people to be sorry for the rotten things they've done in their lives and for being the rotten kind of people that they are and for not loving God with their whole heart and all their mind and all their spirit. He's interested in calling people to repent and follow Him. After all, there's a lot more like them that will hear His teaching and be receptive. Think you could put a meal like that on in your home? You can. Takes courage. Takes faith. Takes the Holy Spirit in you. But you've had practice. Here at worship on Sunday, we have a meal together at this table with Jesus. Around this table, you've heard the words of Jesus as he proclaims the good news and liberty to the captives, you and me. You've heard and seen him heal the brokenhearted. Perhaps he's healed your broken heart. We confess our sins together here at this table 
and hear that we are forgiven. Jesus came to save us sinners by leading us to repentance. So no matter what your past, what your present, whether you're a notorious sinner or a smug, self-righteous person, Jesus calls you as he did Simon and Levi and Andrew and all the others to a life of daily repentance and forgiveness. May he lead you and me to leave our old lives of sin behind and follow him. Amen.